from Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network. This is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers saving music journalism from death by clickbait. I'm Brandon Hill, a writer, editor, and contributor at Central Sauce. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Uh, hi, <laughs> I'm I'm Mickey Hellerback. I'm uh, also a writer for Central Sauce as well as uh, Euphoria Magazine and stuff. Yeah, and I'm Ryan Gore, and I'm writer for Central Sauce and uh, Fox Cops. All right, and today we're going to be bringing you some great content from The Undefeated, Brown Girl Magazine, and Elliot Wilson's The Motto. But first, since this is a hip hop podcast, uh, we wanted to address the issue of police brutality that has been going on in America by reading this list of names of victims of police violence since 2014, beginning with Eric Garner, whose last words to police were, I can't breathe, similar to George Floyd. After reading this list of names, we're going to take a brief moment of silence to remember the lives lost and to think about how we can possibly move forward and make things better in the future. Eric Garner, John Crawford III, Michael Brown, Ezel Ford, Dante Parker, Michelle Cousseau, Laquan McDonald, George Mann, Tanisha Anderson, Akai Gurley, Tamir Rice, Rumaine Brisbane, Jerame Reed, Matthew Ajubade, Frank Smart, Natasha McKenna, Tony Robinson, Anthony Hill, Maya Hall, Philip White, Eric Harris, Walter Scott, William Chapman II, Alexia Christian, Brendan Glenn, Victor Manuel LaRosa, Jonathan Sanders, Freddie Blue, Joseph Mann, Salvato Ellswood, Sandra Bland, Albert Joseph Davis, Darius Stewart, Billy Ray Davis, Samuel DeBose, Michael Sabi, Brian Keith Day, Christian Taylor, Troy Robinson, Ashams Faro Manley, Felix Kumi, Keith Harrison McLeod, Junior Prosper, Lamontez Jones, Peterson Brown, Dominic Hutchison, Anthony Ashford, Alonzo Smith, Tyree Crawford, India Cager, Levante Biggs, Michael Lee Marshall, Jamar Clark, Richard Perkins, Nathaniel Harris Pickett, Benny Lee Tigner, Miguel Espinal, Michael Knoll, Kevin Matthews, Betty Jones, Quintonio Legrier, Keith Childress Jr., Janet Wilson, Randy Nelson, Antron Scott, Wendell Celestine, David Joseph, Kaylin Rockimore, Dijon Perkins, 
Christopher Davis, Marco Loud, Peter Gaines, Toy Robinson, Darius Robinson, Kevin Hicks, Mary Truxillo, Demarcus Seema, Willie Tillman, Terrell Thomas, Civil Smith, Alton Sterling, Flando Castile, Terence Crutcher, Paul O'Neill, Alteria Woods, Jordan Edwards, Aaron Bailey, Ronald Foster, Stephen Clark, Antoine Rose II, Bertham Jean, Pamela Turner, Dominique Clayton, Atatiana Jefferson, Christopher Whitfield, Christopher McCorvey, Eric Reason, Michael Lorenzo Dean, Brianna Taylor, Tyrone West, Freddie Gray, Corinne Gaines, Keith Davis Jr., David McCaddy, and George Floyd. As we're going to discuss with this article on Ice Cube, uh, hip hop and gangster rap originated as a way for you know people to describe the environments that they were living in, um, and a lot of that environment has to do with police brutality. Uh, a lot of early hip hop and hip hop today still covers the issue, the ongoing issue of police brutality. It's a voice for the voiceless. And as people involved in hip-hop and as people who listen to the music, we cannot ignore, we cannot remain silent around these issues of police brutality. Something needs to change. Uh, the, this list of names that we've read today provided by NPR is, is too long. It's anything more than zero is too many. It's too many names. So, for my article that I've selected for the podcast today, <clears throat> Why Ice Cube Should Be a Future Songwriters Hall of Fame Inductee by Justin Tinsley for The Undefeated. Um, I believe we've covered Tinsley on the show before. I think it was for a different outlet than The Undefeated. It might have been Pitchfork. But this article I had read a week or so ago, and as the current events of um, you know the protesting and... Uh, the death of George Floyd reminded me of this article because of how powerfully that Tinsley wrote about Ice Cube's approach as a songwriter and NWA. So Tinsley opens the article with a scene of Ice Cube, now a successful rap superstar, 
pulling up on a group of his friends in Compton. Um, and he basically tells them to get off the streets or they could be arrested. Um, that they remind him that before he blew up that he was right there on the streets with them. When talking about Ice Cube as a songwriter, this scene really helped set up the basis for what makes him so great and for the argument that Tinsley makes uh, earns him a spot in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. The uncensored gangster rap of Ice Cube and N.W.A. was more than just music at the time, but as Tinsley puts it, chemotherapy for a cancer the country had long ignored in neighborhoods portrayed as ground zero on nightly news broadcasts. There's a scene in, I also just, I went back and watched Straight Outta Compton because I knew we were going to be discussing Ice Cube, um, and there was one scene in particular that really spoke to me in Straight Outta Compton where Ice Cube is getting hassled about his music by a reporter, and Cube says something along the lines of, you know, like, why are you busting my balls? I'm a journalist just like you. The only difference is I'm telling the hard truths. Um, and I think that's really what made NWA stand out to so many people, uh, and Ice Cube in particular, is at a time where, you know, people weren't able to come together through, common ex through their common experience on platforms like Twitter or Facebook. They came together through music. When you hear, you know, Straight Outta Compton or Fuck the Police and people can relate to that graphic content, with so many other people at such a widely selling album, um, it becomes a message in itself. It becomes a tangible thing that you can hold on to and say that someone understands it's not just me, it's us. Uh, Tinsley points out how Ice Cube's music was about way more than just the violence. The whole second half of Death Certificate returns to the first half's grim descriptions of the ghetto by delivering intelligent social comedy in a really progressive way. And I think one of my favorite quotes from the article, uh, combing through this thing, like looking for good quotes to talk about, you know, why I like this article was incredibly difficult because of how many fantastic pull quotes that you can pull from Tinsley's words. Um, but I think one of the things that just kind of sums up his argument on why Ice Cube should be in the Hall of Fame is when Tinsley says, or the Songwriters Hall of Fame, is when Tinsley says his music shed light on the despair, anger, yet resiliency of life in the hood. Cube's 360-degree view of the black experience in America was a persuasive counterpoint to politicians and critics who painted black individuals and groups with broad strokes. Um, I think that quote in particular really spoke to me because of how he, Tinsley addresses you know, the gang violence. The article starts off with a lot of numbers on gang violence and stuff like that. Uh, but when you, know, when you approach something from that broad of a perspective, when you're looking at just the numbers or the nightly news reports, uh, you get a much different picture of the issues as opposed to, you know, Ice Cube's fantastic, incredible songwriting that really goes into detail and brings that down on a personal level. So I think Tinsley did a great job introducing the article with those broader strokes and then showing through his own writing how effective that Ice Cube and NWA's writing was at making it more than just numbers. So, you know, what, what did you guys think about this uh, article? What are some of your favorite Ice Cube songs? Yeah, so, well, this is a opinion piece, right? And the point of an opinion piece is to persuade you on the opinion of the author. And in this case, it's almost undeniable. You could say, like, the title of this, and someone would agree, but the way uh, Justin lays it all out in the piece gives the evidence gives this kind of narrative of everything Ice Cube has done to uh, kind of justify him being in the Songwriters Hall of Fame 
makes you wonder why he wasn't one of the initial inductees. You know, maybe it's because he's done so much since then, people forget that he is a songwriter. You know, people watch him and are like, what the hell, ride along or whatever. I feel like that kind of eclipses the um, work he did in those early years, almost 40 years ago now, 30, 40 years ago. Making yeah, it's, art. he doesn't he doesn't seem that old sometimes it's hard to you know to go back and think like how like just how long ago it was that nwa was really you know making music like nwa came before tupac and snoop and stuff like that you know and it doesn't it yeah. just doesn't seem like cube is that old but like you said maybe it's just because of how much he's done since then yeah he kind of has like this new life since then but in that time period he made timeless art he made art that is sadly still relevant to this day and still poignant to this day. And that's that's as much as you can ask from from an artist. When you talk about the responsibility of a songwriter or anyone in any artistic field, that's the most you can ask for is to make, a common, make art that is a commentary on your experience as a human being. And if that experience lives on, and stays relevant, then, you know, you've, you guess you've done a good job. If it resonates, then you've done a good job. Um, and just because police brutality is still a very harmful, a weird word to say, a very dangerous thing, and it's escalated to the point of terrorism, really, against black people in America and all over the world, um, it doesn't mean that that, art is uh, like not worthless but you know like it didn't make an impact because I don't think you would have great movements like Black Lives Matter if it wasn't for what Ice Cube did and what NWA did on this song and the words that he wrote and Justin does a great job of laying that out for you like these are the words he wrote 30 years ago and you can see in those words how they inspired the uh, movements of today yeah, I mean, before there were Twitter hashtags, uh, there there was "fuck the police." Yeah, from the NWA song that you know that uh, that phrase was a thing for people to unify around that meant so much more than what it was perceived by you know news stations covering NWA as a you know as a dangerous threat or as you know trying to censor. Uh, you know, it meant it meant so much more than what it was made out to be by, uh, you know, the organizations that paint that image in broader strokes, like Tinsley refers to. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first thing I just wanted to mention really quick is the names that I added at the end of that uh, first list that we read off were names of victims of police brutality from Baltimore, where I'm from. Um, and then also David McCaddy was a, a man who was just murdered in the midst of all of the protests by the Louisville police and left in the street for 13 hours before he was removed by the, the police. Um, so I just wanted to mention his name as well. Um, but then Brandon, I wanted to, to thank you for pulling that, um, uh, the, the reference from the NWA movie, uh, because I think that just funny, cause I, I wrote this down anyway. Uh, the thing that, I think Tinsley proved within the article that was the thing that really sets ice cube apart is his almost journalistic 
approach to rap. And I think the most impressive part of the article was the, the quotes from the rap specifically that he pulled. And what they proved to me is, is that, um, the, the reason why, why Ice Cube cut through so much was his, his analytical view was combined with, um, an unedited emotion of uh, the feeling of the oppression that he and his community were going through. Um, I specifically liked the, the, the quote that he pulled towards the end um, of, I, I think it was death certificate about um, the, the uh, experience of, of discrimination within um, uh hospitals and just medical discrimination that black people receive in South Central. I wanted to read that, um, uh, that quote from that song, um, woke up in the back of a tray on my way to MLK. That's the County hospital where, and words die over a little scratch sitting in the trauma center in my back is where the bullet entered. Yo nurse, I'm getting kind of warm. Uh, bees still made me fill out the fucking form. Um, I just think, uh, yeah, that one was the one that really stuck through to me is just the the wordplay and the specificity of um, detailing the imagery of that experience while also just feeling the way that Ice Cube delivered the, the guttural aspect of all of these experience, experiences um, is really what qualifies him to be in the, the Songwriters Hall of Fame beyond any other person I could even... Uh, think of um and i also uh one thing that i thought was also interesting that was left out of the article which is a huge part of uh anyone's understanding of ice cubes catalog was his um was it was a good day and what that, that meant that to, was a point i was going to bring up specifically <laughs> which was about that a, song. uh it's just interesting that that was left out and it i mean it's proof also that it doesn't even need to be included and it's potentially his biggest song of all time uh which what that did specifically was um get that's a truly um a true example of his almost journalistic approach by outlining what would exist as a positive day of relief for him and be totally out of the norm which was to the the other side of the public that didn't understand that existence was proof of the, the, the real day to day existence that black people in the, the hood in LA were going through and what, what a relief it was to not have to deal with all of the, the intensity of the oppression that exists there for just one, one day of ease. Um, I think the way that he outlined that and the, the intelligent breaking down of that so it would be listenable to the other side is almost reminiscent of, um, I don't know if any of you have read the narrative of Frederick Douglass, but he wrote it with the specific intention of uh, reaching out to uh, liberal white women of the North who he felt like would be empathetic enough to do something, but would have the 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 privilege to be able to do so and it felt like that's kind of what ice cube was doing with that song um was channeling uh some version of frederick Douglass. so i just really wanted to mention that and then before uh stop speaking the last thing I, I did a little bit of research after reading the article and i just wanted to read out uh these are all uh 
songwriting credits that Ice Cube has that were songs that he did not feature on, which means he either wrote for these artists or a quote from his catalog was used in their work. And the list to me that I came up with was even beyond what I could have thought. Um, so I'll start with the obvious and then get into the really wild ones. Uh, so it starts with Easy, Dr. Dre, but then we have Bryson Tiller, Drake, Rick Ross, Royce the Five Nine, Jeezy, Two Chains, YG, Slaughterhouse, Trina, Mike Jones, Bun B, Snoop Dogg, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Exhibit, Cormega, UGK, David Banner, Lil Scrappy, Scarface, Biggie, Rivers Cuomo, Benny Blanco, Buju Banton, Tony Tony Tony, and these are my favorite: Tyrese, Shaquille O'Neal, Prince, Mariah Carey, and Corn. Jeez, yeah. Not, I mean, not to mention just just his pure songwriting capabilities but the, all the movies that he's written as well like he, i mean he's clearly just a extremely talented and articulate writer period yeah his sphere of influence is unbelievable just like laying that out oh my god yeah like, we're talking shaquille O'Neal, right mariah carey saying. corn <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I think, um, so it was a good day. I was definitely going to mention that too, because I, in my opinion, that's like, is one of my favorite hip hop songs of all time. Um, like top five. And it like, you know, as I like, it, it's funny because even before reading this article, um, I liked that song as a journalist, like as a journalist, like I liked that song because I thought it was so effective at communicating issues in such a like easily digestible way uh you know because when you think of a song called it was a good day you know you're thinking about an up an upbeat song about like you know all these good things that happened to someone that made it a good day but when the song breaks it down it's less about good things that happened to him and bad things that didn't happen to him mm -hmm. um and to show to, you know just to show that like those things not happening made it a good day shows how prevalent so many of those issues are that that all it takes for something to be a good day is you know to not be a victim of gang violence or police brutality uh you know like the line in the song like it was a good day like didn't have to use my ak like i i like when i go about my life every like i don't ever need to like have a gun you know and so just the fact the fact that that made it a good day for him, I think is something that a lot of people take for granted, uh, but they can get that feeling like through Cube's music about like how difficult it actually is in these inner cities that artists like Cube, uh, you know, articulated through their music. Uh, and there were, was, there was another note from, um, oh, I forget what it was, uh, from a, it was in Straight Outta Compton, uh, one of the one of the news broadcasters uh, was speaking and said something along the lines of, we all know that some of our favorite musicians aren't good people, but NWA is a rap group that is describing themselves as bad people through their music, um, which, you know, was, you know, obviously perceived from like the, the angle of the newscaster, but it, it's what set gangster rap apart from a lot of other genres of music at the time because the, you know, the rappers like NWA and Ice Cube, they were describing the things that, they, that they've done or the things that they've seen that aren't good things, you know, and they were describing that directly in their music. Uh, 
as opposed to a lot of, you know, a lot of artists, uh, you know, make music that's just, it's fun, that it sounds good, they make, but it doesn't really address, like, core systemic issues that they have faced as an artist. And that's really what set Gangsta Rap apart uh, early on. Yeah, and to make a song like It Was A Good Day, that's so positive. Like, even just in sound and in tone. Mm-hmm. To, for an artist that's labelled as, you know, America's Most Wanted, you know? For him to make that, it's a... It's a big statement just on its own, isn't it? Without thinking too much into it. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, one of the most powerful books, again, just to re-mention it, that I've ever read is the narrative of Frederick Douglass, and he does a similar thing where he's talking specifically about the oppression of slavery and doing it directed at people who he thinks will have the um, privilege and uh, power to do something about it based on him. Uh, evoking empathy is i think well said yeah it was just a a tactful way it seems like the same kind of tact um that ice cube is using in that song all right so yeah if you guys ever uh see an opportunity to put ice cube's name out there for the songwriters hall of fame uh do it there's plenty of convincing reasons as justin tinsley outlined in his article Uh, now, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and introduce the next article we'll be covering for the podcast today. All right. So, yeah, this is a departure from the content or the topics that we've been covering so far. So just to let everyone breathe, I guess. <laughs> and it's something that like is very dear to me as a South Asian person. So the article that I am uh, bringing is from a journalist called uh, Jashima yeah, Dashima uh, Wadera, and it's called Meet Bangladeshi Director Shomi Pathwari Behind Award-Winning, mu- award-winning Music Videos for Lupe Fiasco, Dirigit, Dosanj, Beyonce, and more. So, uh, yeah, so this is kind of a perfect situation for me. It was an article about an, a music video director who's working primor- yeah, primarily in hip-hop um, on a website that features... Uh, South Asian social commentary mostly and it's just all about South Asian culture uh, that website is called Brown Girl Magazine it's a website I'm lucky enough to have been um, published on before which is awesome it's probably the most thing I'm most proud of because I love the website to death and um, yeah it's a great way to dive into our culture and I never thought to bring one of those pieces to the podcast because I never really thought about the intersection of hip hop and my culture, but this um, really did it really well. So this is a straight-up interview piece, and we've covered, like, profiles before where there's kind of, like, bits of interviews being uh, sprinkled into the article, but we've never actually covered an actual interview piece before that is just, for for the most part, question and answer between interviewer and interviewee. And I think that there's definitely, with all articles all types of articles is definitely an art to it so i think we'd have a good discussion about what makes this one great um and the into the intro to the interview piece is always for me the most important part is how you establish the themes of the article and um for this one jashima um talks about 
discovering Lupe Fiasco's music through her late brother, who she has now set up like a um uh like a arts music school in his name, which is awesome. Um so if you want to search her up search her, her social medias and stuff then uh find out more information about that. But um she established like this emotional connection to the music and through to the music video which uh Shomi directed. And it was kind of this moment where she realised that South Asians could make it in this hip-hop game. It's something that opened her eyes up to realise that um, art isn't exclusive to certain groups. It's always great to have art for for certain groups, but it never means that people from from the outside can come in and work in that genre. And that's a theme that carries on through the interview. It's about this immigrant who moved to America when he was eight from Bangladesh, um, slowly making it in this rap game. So yeah, I want to throw it to you guys. Uh, Brandon, what do you think? What made, what made this piece a good interview piece? Um, so right off the bat, like the, I think the biggest thing to me that was just so cool and like there's multiple levels to it. So you have a South Asian writer, uh, a South Asian writer who's in hip-hop who is inspired by a South Asian director who's in hip-hop. Um, and then, you know, the piece was brought to us by our very own South Asian British writer at Central Sauce. So I saw, like, I literally saw almost in real time how, you know, the writer started the piece off with a story about how, you know, they saw that video and they were inspired that they can do it, which would be a great story in itself. But then the fact that the article exists and that they're writing about it means that they did it, that they made it, and they made it inspired by the uh, video director who is interviewed in the piece. And I think when we get down to, like, to the content of the interview, uh, what made this one stand out so much to me is how detailed the subject was. Um, let me find the subject's name here so I can stop saying subject. <laughs> Show me Patwari. Show me pat- Patwari. So, (laughs) so Patwari really, I mean, really puts these details out here in more detail than I've seen from like any other interview transcript, you know, like a lot, it's a common question to ask an artist, you know, like, what was it like coming up or, you know, how, like, where did you struggle or how did you struggle coming up? But this, this interview contains, uh, you know, not like Patwari goes all the way back to the immigration because that was a core part of his story in hip hop. Uh, and you know, from there he goes to how, how he got into tech and how he made connections. There was one specific note in there where he made, he himself made a connection between Drake and clips, uh, to collaborate together, but he never saw a penny of that kind of collaboration. Hmm. So, you know, like going to that kind of detail to just show how much work that it took and all the different ways that he applied that work, and then, you know, from the beginning of the piece, we know the end result is that he is a successful music video director in the hip-hop industry and being written about by a successful South Asian writer in hip-hop. Um, so that, like, that to me was just the coolest, was that you could see the levels to the inspiration in real time through this piece. Yeah, and I feel like uh, Jashima was the perfect person to write this article because she's well-versed in hip-hop and is South Asian. So the things that would usually be treated as a gimmick about South Asian culture 
are just natural in this conversation and the things that if a non-hip-hop pub, like publication was writing about it would kind of um, maybe steer away from or highlight as an outlier or something was just completely natural so to, by having that kind of uh, culture and knowledge Joshima was the perfect person to allow the conversation to progress and allow Shomi to answer these questions comfortably and confidently like when he just casually mentions that his parents wanted an arranged marriage which is like perfectly natural for a South Asian person to mention even of my generation even of, especially of generations above me so uh, I feel like a white um, or a non-South Asian uh, interviewer would have kind of dwelled on that a bit but all Joshima says oh congrats you got married like <laughs> you know it's yeah. just so um, <laughs> it just flows so well I'm just very happy with this piece honestly yeah oh uh, yeah so yeah uh, Mickey what do you think yeah of uh, uh, I think I can transition out of the the marriage well one I wanted to talk about two things really uh, the things that inspired me as someone who wants to be as good as humanly possible at interviewing and then at um, Patwari's story specifically. Um, I think, uh, sorry, what's the, what's the author's or composer's name again? Jashima. Jashima. Yeah. I want to make sure I say that right. Yeah. Um, the thing that was just so, uh, firstly, let's talk about the, the, the marriage thing that you specifically just talked about. Um, I think because she had an understanding, like you talked about, that was such a strong part of the interview because what it got him to do was open up about how much his wife specifically has become such an essential part of his story. So it not, because she had a sensitivity to that and it wasn't some outsider interviewing him, he then was able to express these inner workings of his journey that are such a joy to read from the, the reader's perspective. Um, the big thing that I noticed, and I just had my first interview published for Central Sauce with an, uh, an artist, Zaya, out of Atlanta, and I think um, the best parts of the interviews that I feel like I've done thus far are ones where I feel so connected to the narrative of how I personally found out about the artists themselves that I can naturally go and lead the conversation in a way to express the journey over the interview. And this was just like a really small moment that uh, I think she did really well um, is she kind of knew exactly uh, after he talked about um, she just knew how to establish a timeline in the article that just led to each mm. individual new discovery. So right after the marriage section, she knows exactly what happens afterwards. So then she transitions him naturally into working for Karma Loop and going to New York City, then moving to Jackson Heights and starting Elusive Media. And then directly after that, she already knows that Karma Loop went under, which um, moved him into working for uh, The Fader, which then opens up this whole new section about... Um, his journey after that and because she has the knowledge of his exact journey as an artist it just moves forward the interview so naturally and gets him to open up with ease about all of the things that are so interesting about him um so that was really inspiring to me um the the other things that just about uh patwari that were so uh, cool to me were his ability to 
just target the people who he was inspired by as artists that he felt like he had a connection to specifically at the beginning of his career with Pharrell. And then knowing that then once he got targeted those people and got into contact and did whatever he could to do that, all he did was try to make himself useful. The intention never had to do with money. It was all just, okay, I realize that I have a tech advantage here that I can actually help these people with. And that's how I'm going to present myself as someone who can help move their art forward. And then he just had the self-confidence to be able to keep doing that until it resulted in money. And then he figured out how to negotiate once he proved himself to be totally useful. Um, and I think, uh, that was really inspiring to me in my own journey of figuring out how to exist within the industry that we're all trying to enter into constantly of just, um, and it's just funny with the article that I'm going to be talking about, that would be one of those people for me, uh, just figuring out exactly where we can exist at our highest level of, um, of impact, uh, and help. Uh, so yeah, I just thought I thought um, the interview was so so well done and so natural and uh, was really inspiring, especially for people in our line of work. Yeah, yeah, I really I really liked how it showed how you know Patuari was a very intelligent, very hardworking person, but he still stumbled through a lot of stuff to get to where he was at today. You know, there was never right. a clear a clear path of like, okay, this is what I'm doing, and I got to do this, and if I keep doing this, I'm gonna get to where I need to be. No, it, it was a lot of kind of stumbling around in the dark until landing mm -hmm. on each thing that he needed to boost him up to that next step. Um, you know, whether it was having a camera given to him by, who was that, Pusha T? Yeah. Bottom, bottom a camera. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, getting, getting a contract with Nerd. Or, you know, I like the note about how, um, you know, all he had was that one particular camera. So he learned, you know, one particular style of shooting music videos and he kept using that when it worked. But then there was, I don't think he mentioned who it was, but he did a video for someone um, that was, you know, kind of when he had stumbled up to that next step and he did a video for someone in that style. But because he had only been familiar, you know, with the one camera, not the full production scene, uh, it didn't go over any well. And then, like you said, like his wife then became a huge part of you know, developing that production set and all the things that go around the directing of it. So just, yeah. you know, showing how he stumbled through that uh, in that amount of detail made this a great interview, not just for like, oh, like I'm going to read this interview because I'm familiar with Petuari's work and I want to see, you know, how he got to where he's at, but just a great interview in general, just for anyone to read a story of how someone can make it through doing those types of things yeah he's so egoless <laughs> he has no yeah. and he's not stubborn yeah. at all and he has this inherent understanding that in order to keep moving forward in his own career and success that he is going to have to reinvent himself it's never a struggle for him he's like okay well well it's a struggle but it's never a thing where he's like oh i didn't expect to have to do this he's always like oh okay well i the tech part isn't needed so much anymore and then maybe i can help with making these videos and then i get this camera and i figure it out my wife helps me and then we started doing that <laughs> so he's <laughs> he has no 
no hesitation to reinvent himself and he asks for help where he needs it and just makes himself useful constantly. Yeah, and I think we wouldn't have that if um, Jashima hadn't done her research right. and didn't and didn't make um, Shomi just give us exposition dumps mm-hmm. and just tell us, like, this is where I was in my life and this and this and this. Because the time in the interview is, like, she knew that already. She allowed the conversation to get to the parts that actually people want to hear about. And, yeah. Um, so another thing that, quickly, I just wanted to go over is the fact that he did all this great stuff. He's American artists that you guys are familiar with and something that you guys can connect with. But uh, Brown Girl Magazine, even though it's an American-based publication, a lot of people reading that probably aren't too familiar with, you know, your NERDs, maybe, or your Pusha T's. But then... He, they bring it back to South Asia, to India specifically. Right. And he says that he did a project with Shahrukh Khan. Do you guys know who Shahrukh Khan is? No. Those, I was actually, <laughs> uh, you reminded me that I, I wanted to ask you about those names if you knew. Shahrukh Khan is bigger to India than Beyonce is to America. <laughs> wow. Okay, Much yeah, that's a. Because I, because I thought that was really interesting when he said uh, that they did that video for them, and he was like, "That's the one time I've seen my wife completely fangirl." And I was like, "You worked like you worked with Pharrell and you worked with Drake and like so that I mean that was a really interesting note that adds to the fact that you know this is an a South Asian hip hop video producer, you know that that they still have." stronger cultural icons to them that are in their culture while they're also able to work within the United States hip-hop industry. And that filled my heart because it, this isn't a guy who has kind of abandoned his, cult, his culture in, in uh, favor of the mm-hmm. American thing, which you see a lot. And something I have a big problem in is the Asian represent, South Asian representation in mainstream media sees a lot of South Asian people abandoning their culture and being rewarded by the media for abandoning their culture and just fitting in with, like, assimilating to the American standard. But him going back and doing something with Shah... Being able to do something with Shah Rukh is insane. This is a guy... We're talking about a guy who... He's an actor, by the way. He's a Bollywood actor. Um, and this is a guy who regularly gets crowds and crowds of people outside his house every single day like this guy i cannot explain to you the extent of this guy's fame like michael he's jackson like 10 to, maybe yeah probably michael jackson elvis of, the beatles possibly. i'd say bigger than those two honestly Ooh, michael jackson. Is <laughs> massive massive so the fact that he went back and did that and his wife is that starstruck tells you that that's such an achievement that's like everything coming full circle for him and his yeah. career and yeah right. it was such a beautiful thing yeah. so yeah it's always nice to, to um, yeah go on i was just saying it's always nice to hear people be able to come home and then succeed at home after going out and finding themselves yeah exactly and the fact that so, that notori- notorious but yeah here, so here's say, a Oh, wait, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say um, shout out to Brown Girl Magazine for being an American publication that has such a strong tie to South Asian culture because uh, as someone who lives, who is South Asian but lives away from South Asia, 
I can tell you it's really hard to connect with my culture being in England and through publications like this I'm able to stay in touch with it and still feel South Asian so yeah shout out to them so I've got a great question for you guys that will transition well into our next piece. Uh, so Mickey, you can go last. But I want to ask you guys, who is a great example of, you know, someone in your career field um, or, you know, hip hop industry that is, you know, sort of serves that role for uh, the author of the piece like Patwari did? Uh, for me, I, I think there's really, you know, there's two big ones and they are uh, Sean Evans and Hunter Thompson. So Sean Evans uh, hosts Hot Ones, and I'm like big on interviews. I'm an interview nerd. I love like I like studying interviews to see how different people work, how they do their background research and stuff like that. And I think Sean Evans, uh, his interview style, like aside from the novelty of the show, which is great and adds to the interview, um, but his his background research, his rapport, his camaraderie, like with his subjects, is next level. I think he's one of the best interviews out there. Um, so he's a big inspiration to me for, you know, one direction that I would hope my career takes me someday. And then Hunter Thompson, um, on the writing side of things, I think is an inspiration to me because he is such like, it shows that someone can write with such creativity and such like incredible, um, just, he has like an incredible mind just the way that he's able to think around the subjects that he writes about um, is a very sort of style uh, on broader stroke that I like to apply to my writing. And it's something that I hope, you know, like one day my like my some of the best stuff I've written um, could be known for the, you know, the same language and the same approach as Hunter Thompson takes. So those are just two people, two industry people that are sort of inspirational to me. So the questions and then I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> So the question is like two people in journalism or in anything that you kind of aspire to and kind of. Um, I, I mean, I'd say anything because I know you're with the uh, with the physics and stuff. I don't know <laughs> if you have a particular physics uh, inspiration as well. Okay, if I have to say physics, then I would say, um, oh, Chandrasekhar. He is an old physicist who uh, astrophysicist who. <laughs> Okay, he found the mass limit of a star that might turn, like, if, if a star gets this big, it might go to a black hole or it might go to something less scary. He found that kind of mass limit and he is the only South Asian um, physicist who I read about in textbooks, so I always keep him in mind. In terms of writing, uh, I don't necessarily think of journalists, even though there's some incredible journalists that I inspire to, people like uh, Yo from DJ Booth, people like Herschel Pandya, who's another South Asian writer. But um, in terms of writing, there's an artist called Milo, aka Rap Ferreira, and the way he writes um, is just mesmerising to me. It's just wholly inspiring the way he raps with such uh, poetry, really. His writing never fails to leave me stunned. And yeah, okay, I'd say he's a massive inspiration to me. Also, the author, uh, Haruki Murakami, he was a big inspiration to me as well with his writing. Well, I 
firstly want to say, Brandon, I'm very inspired by you for setting me up so well transitionally oh. to go right <laughs> into my article that I presented today. Um, as far as uh, journalists go, uh, I would like to say first to agree with both of you, Brandon, with uh, Sean Evans, the thing I'm for sure I'm inspired by him is the creativity of an interview show. Um, Ryan with Yo, just out of his pure, uh, pure quantity of art of quality writing that he's able to put out is just untouched. Um, and then the other two I want to say before I go into my article would be Nardwar, just out of pure uh, research. Oh man, researchability yeah. can never be unmentioned. And my uh, one who I always feel like is an unfortunate sleeper, but is my biggest inspiration uh, for hopefully doing video interviews in the future is Angie Martinez. Um, oh, yeah. To me, why she is just absolutely the peak of video interviewing above literally any other journalist to me is she is so unbelievable at getting artists comfortable and being more vulnerable than they are in literally any other interview. And I don't think I'll ever be able to get to her level just because she has this such mom-like quality that I will absolutely never have. <laughs> but she is just so unbelievable. Her interviews just within semi-recent history of like uh, J. Cole, Takashi even during all of that stuff, the way that she was able to almost cut through with him that no one else was able to was just mind-boggling to me. And then things with like ASAP Rocky – where she like you know introduced him to Rakim for the first time which is who he was named after um I, to me she always needs to be more mentioned within the best interviewers of all time category um but then obviously the the transition uh to my article uh of the most inspiring journalists to me of all time is Elliot Wilson um and the big reason for that is uh his longevity and as i mentioned um before in the previous article his um, undying ability to reinvent himself based on where the culture is going and his anticipation and understanding of that is absolutely unmatched. Um, so what he has just come out with is this newsletter that uh, he started with his wife, uh, Danielle, uh, Danielle Wilson, uh, no, not Danielle Wilson, Danielle Smith, pardon me. Um, it's, called, it's called The Motto. Um, and it's funny enough, uh, just like the previous article as well, um, his wife is so essential to his success. Uh, there's actually just a really great interview of him, uh, from a show that I really liked, although I don't think they're still doing it by Noah Callahan Beaver called Blueprint, where they kind of outline Elliot Wilson's entire career, which will explain better than even I can, uh, his journey through journalism. Um, but he actually met his wife uh danielle early in his journalism process as she was the music editor at vibe and he credits her heavily with um making him uh a better journalist and really learning how to write music reviews which is how he really got started so he was one of the co-creators uh, initially of the kind of more underground rap publication ego trip um and then he ended up working for vibe and then meeting his wife and then he transitioned from that uh he, so he did very similar to the previous article. He targeted the source as they were kind of the peak of uh, rap publications at the time. And he became 
uh, I believe, music editor of The Source and then had uh, a bit of a, a quarrel with them and then quit. And then pretty soon after became the editor of XXL uh, and then kind of brought XXL into their peak. Um, and so he entered right into the big, you know, the the into the golden years of hip hop magazines and was at the top of the game. He became uh, XXL became the number one hip hop magazine with a cover that he led with Eminem, 50 Cent and Dr. Dre. Uh, and then. Uh, a little bit later in that, he cut ties with XXL, um, and he, he was fired by them, uh, and it was funny because the, part of the reason he was fired is because he went to the peak of the hip-hop magazine era, and then as it slowly started to decline, they cut ties rather than re-upping his contract, and what he did was is he transitioned right into the hip-hop blog era and co-founded Rap Radar. So already in his career, he started an underground magazine, which led him to the big magazines, got into the peak of big magazines as they were falling. He left that and went right into the blog era. Then he took Rap Radar literally as far as it could go, being of the big three hip-hop blogs, which would be, to me, Not Right, Rap Radar, and Two Dope Boys, but there's also Hip Hop DX and many other ones. And then as soon as the blog started to fall off, he left Rap Radar and literally transitioned right into streaming services, which were the next thing in uh, within uh, hip-hop journalism. And he is now the head of content creation at Tidal and runs three separate, basically, video podcasts, one being Rap Radar podcast, which very recently did of the biggest interview. He, I mean, first of all, they interviewed Jay-Z at his home. They interviewed Drake at his home. Um, he also does car tests where he rides around and does exclusive listening of artists' uh, albums. Uh, and he also does Crown, which are one-on-one uh, -on -one interview styles. Um, so he's just really moved through the game of hip-hop journalism at, in a way that is totally unmatched to me. And that is super inspiring. Um, but he got, again, his initial start in it within written journalism. Um, which since he has moved far away from and he does mostly uh, podcast interviews, but also is uh, big at keeping up his Instagram. Uh, he has of the most active Instagram pages updating on hip hop. But because of the pandemic, uh, he, I'm sure he was plotting on this idea for a while. Uh, he has now gone back to his roots and uh, started a newsletter, uh, which he is able to go back to his roots and also be nostalgic about his entire career. And it's really uh, an amazing read. Um, he also now, and I know Brandon wants to talk about this as well, has been able through the current things that are happening in the world, been able to show through his newsletter, hip hop's reaction uh, to the protests that are going on around the country. Um, which is, uh, it, there's a, it's cool to have kind of a place where you can check out all of the ways in which hip hop is, uh, involving itself and reacting to things on a day to day basis. Um, it's also just, and, and he's doing this, uh, directly with his wife, Danielle, again, it's just in, incredible that he is always so on top of, uh, like with the previous article, just finding out where he can be helpful in the space.
Um, and I think that the motto is really, uh, really exemplifies that. Um, another thing that he's gotten far away from in recent history is uh, music discovery. I even heard him say in, in an interview that he wants to uh, talk to artists after they've kind of created some buzz, that that's just kind of where he's at in his career. But I've also heard him say in other interviews that that's kind of like the excitement of discovery was where he first um kind of fell in love with doing hip-hop journalism so within the motto he also even has a, a section which I'm, i wrote down here somewhere um but i don't know if i'm going to be able to find it. a section of uh, many of the motto's uh, issues where he talks about uh new acts that he's discovering which he hasn't done in a very long time and funny enough he's getting his new act sources from a lot of the same sources that we do like dj booth and pitches and planes and things like that um so it he uh, and then I, just the last thing before I open it up is he uh, of the most interesting stuff that he has covered on the motto is his more nostalgic pieces where he like shows an old interview that he did with Biggie where Biggie uh, the one interview did with Biggie before he passed about Biggie understanding how the industry worked and taking wisdom from Diddy and the recently passed Andre Harrell uh, and wanting to eventually start his own label and stop rapping. He talked about his, his his history with Eminem and that issue that I uh, mentioned earlier. Um, and he even talks about the one big interview that he never got that he really wishes he could was uh, with Three Stacks. He even tells a story about riding around Atlanta and bumping um, Speaker Box Love Below with Andre, Erica Badu, and their son Seven eating waffle fries, just riding around Atlanta listening to the album. Um, but it's really cool to just be able to read all of his um, hip-hop journalism stories over time and then see what he's uh, he's listening to new music wise in a new way um, and getting him back to his journalistic roots. Um, any thoughts from you guys? Yes, it has kind of changed my view on Elliot Wilson a bit. <laughs> I always saw him as a very um, industry kind of guy, you know, industry dude. Uh, dude only covers other big he co created Ego Trip. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Like, yeah. For now, like recent years though, mm -hmm. like since XXL kind of years. Right. I've always seen him as that kind of guy, but because like it's, you said he created Ego Trip like way back when. Yeah, it's easy to kind of get lost in all those years since. So the fact that he's back doing this kind of stuff, and it's so honest, so kind of pure in a way, it, it really, like, up to my respect for him, which I had already because he's an incredible journalist, and he's, his impact, in. Uh, music journalism is just, you know, beyond anything that we've covered on this podcast before, any journalist that we've covered before. Uh, like, I remember binging those Rap Radar podcasts back before they were on Tidal, but, you know, those early ones, I remember like, oh. binging them every day. No matter who was on there, I just wanted to hear those guys talk to them. Just because they had such, they have, still have such good chemistry, and like, Eddie Wilson's laugh is just unmatched. But, uh, yeah, this um, publication is so intimate in a way. And the uh, one of the articles that stood out to me was the Andre 3000 one. And him, it's basically him just reminiscing, going, like, oh man, I wish I got that interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do that right now. And it's kind of a testament to his legacy but also him kind of retreating and doing something more grassroots, which I appreciate a lot. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I'll throw it to Brandon as well. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, Elliot Wilson is, I mean, reason enough to have title on his own almost. Um, Car Test is incredible. Rap Radar is incredible. 
Uh, so like I mentioned before, how I'm in kind of an interview nerd, um, on my big profile piece on JID, uh, I went and looked at and watched every single video, every single interview, read every interview JID's ever done, um, and took notes on all of them. And I think two, like JID's car test and JID's rap radar interview were both of those, uh, were some of my favorite interviews he's given. And, you know, as I took notes on all these interviews, I wrote down like new details that I picked up that hadn't been covered in previous interviews. And I think the notes that I wrote on both the car test and the rap radar uh, were some of the longest sections of notes I had because Elliot Wilson wasn't just, you know, rehashing standard interview content. Um, he was getting a genuinely new information, great information, new perspectives. Um, so just, I mean, him as an interviewer also is incredible. Uh, his show formats are incredible. Um, but then to the newsletter specifically, uh, one of the things that I thought was really cool is, like you said, uh, how much Elliot Wilson hasn't been involved in the history and the nostalgia. Um, and, you know, what really makes me think of that is what I'm looking at right now is like the Freddie Gibbs article, you know, Freddie Gibbs, Rise of an Underground. It's not just like he, like Elliot Wilson is writing like this perspective on, you know, how Freddie Gibbs evolved through the underground, but it's not a pure retrospective because he also has so much of his own content that he can include in that. He's like, Oh, like, uh, Freddie Gibbs referenced this. Like you can hear him talk about this in this interview that we did years ago. Um, or also check out Freddie Gibbs on car test, you know, as, as Elliot Wilson, like inserts himself into these narratives because he's been there, you know? Um, and he just has such a history of content with these artists. Also, uh, shout out Freddie Gibbs, Alfredo. The album is incredible. <laughs> uh, we didn't. We skipped over talking about what we've been listening to at the beginning. So, shout out to Elliot Wilson for giving me a chance to mention that let's, album because he. Let's covered. do that at the end. Let's talk about it. Sure, sure, sure. But so I, I think it's it's a really interesting thing with this newsletter, um, and something I've kind of toyed around with a bit as a journalist is you know like having a blog where you're writing. Like, not just the content you're putting out and the articles you're putting out, but writing, you know, your experiences and your perspectives as a journalist. You know, what what have you learned through working with these people? What have you learned through researching this content aside from just, you know, the final product? And I think a newsletter like this from a hip-hop journalist who's been so, inv as so involved as Elliot Wilson is just top-tier content. Like, the potential, the potential of this newsletter is incredible. Um, it also, it's cool. It, it, when I've been reading it, it kind of reminded me of our discussion the last episode that we did about the cave, about how the cool thing about watching the cave is you see how it develops yes. organically over time. Yeah. And the thing that's really cool about the newsletter and the way that he set it up initially is how he's made the, the, the structure of it so he can kind of... Uh, naturally move around the structure so it works with the times and i think that's why it has so much potential very similarly to the cave and because yeah, it's his right oh, go ahead ryan yeah so i was gonna say like it's his and it's completely independent of any other kind of organization so he can literally do whatever he wants with it and i think he makes full use of that and you get to see this thing innocently like progress yeah go on Brandon. yeah so like the word you know the word tastemaker comes to mind um or i guess maybe that's not the word i'm thinking of uh you know news setter news framer maybe is what i'm thinking of but to have someone who you know is deciding 
what is important to the culture, like what is news in hip hop, and then putting that all together in one place um, is a it, it is a lot of framing. Framing is what I was this is the word I was looking for. Um, so to have someone who is so knowledgeable and invested and goes back so long in charge of and responsible for the framing of deciding like what's important to the culture and what's important in hip hop today. Uh, I don't think there, I mean, you would be hard pressed to find a better person to, you know, to direct that kind of framing. Uh, you know, you get, you hear a lot in like in these publications and stuff like that. Um, like, Oh, like we don't cover certain artists because X, Y, B, or we're only going to talk about, you know, we're going to draw the public's attention to the things that we want their attention on in our way, like how how you frame things as a publication is a huge responsibility. Um, and, you know, Elliot Wilson's framing is 100% genuine. And because of his historical involvement, like if I'm going to trust anyone in hip hop to tell me what I should care about, like if I don't have the time to be, you know, reading and consuming everything, if I'm going to let someone be the filter between me and the content that I need, it, it, I'm picking Elliot Wilson. He, there's not yeah. a better person in the industry to do that. Right. He, what he's been able to do, actually, uh, I didn't have this written down before, too, is I think what he's really been able to do with the motto is for maybe the first time ever really create what feels the most like a hip-hop news source. Uh, and he's done it, been able to do it with uh, kind of mixing his knowledge of of being like a, a journalist in a magazine as well as someone who has produced a hip hop blog. But by combining those two um, and making it a structure uh, that works for him, it's really become, it's a daily thing that he updates and it's really become a news source with a, a center of, of the hip hop culture and how it relates to the world, which is, I don't think has ever really been done before. Yeah, I'll go one up than that and call it an, an encyclopedia. Right. Really, is what it is. It's uh, That's what it's potential to be, you know. If you add to this, as you said, like every day, how long has it been going? Do you know? Uh, well, it, start, it started uh, during the pandemic, so not that long. I think it's ah. had to have gone a little longer than a month now, probably. I can look it up right now to see how long. Wow, but like as Brandon said, was. like, yeah, the potential for this could be to have a true hip-hop encyclopedia because of how knowledgeable he's been not just for like very mainstream stuff but if you think about the people that he put on in early career like he put on company flow in his early career he's well versed in underground stuff too so you know this could be this close as close as it comes to a real hip-hop encyclopedia which is incredible oh it hasn't even been out a month yet i just looked the first oh, the, wow. fir- the first article yeah, was pretty, uh made for first one that's impressive yeah it's wild jeez it's wild. So well, we are really seeing only out. the beginning stages of it. And what wild timing, too. Like, he literally lined <laughs> it up with the pandemic and making kind of a news source that's easy to check in Europe and then lining it up directly with all of the protests now. And then, and then just, like, how personal it feels because of all the personal anecdotes that he's able to provide himself. Like, it just adds so much value to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, shout out Elliot Wilson for his new newsletter, The Motto. And also, I would like to sh- one last shout out for all the other authors we covered today. Uh, thank you to Justin Tensley for his piece "Why Ice Cube Should Be in the- Should Be a Future Songwriters Hall of Fame Inductee for the Undefeated." 
shout out to Jashima Wadera. Did I pronounce that right, Ryan? Wadera. <laughs> Jashima Wadera for Meet Bangladeshi director Shomi Patwari behind award-winning music videos for Lupe Fiasco, Diljit Dosanja, Dosanja. Beyonce, yeah. and more. Maybe I should have had you read that <laughs> title instead. Um, and then, yeah, Elliot Wilson for the motto. Um, you guys can check out our work on centralsauce.com. Uh, go check out Mickey's new interview with Zaya. Uh, great transcript, great in-depth stuff. Um, there's going to be more coming from me and Ryan soon. Uh-huh. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's me, Ryan, signing off. Uh, we won't, we're going to talk about what we've listened to. Oh, yeah, let's talk about uh, what I want to shout listening. out. I want to shout out the Quede Chris album. I know Brandon loves it as well. Oh my God, I love it. I just got the vinyl. I just <laughs> got so the vinyl good. too. It's so gorgeous. It's a beautiful album. Uh, it's called Innocent Country 2. It's a collaboration album of uh, Chris Keys. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And I want to shout out um, Rap Ferreira, a.k.a. Milo's. Um, uh, what's it called? The Ancient and Original Left-Handed Stars of Hoodwinkers and Penny Pinchers which is one of my favorite albums uh, from last year. Yeah, the uh, Alfredo by Freddie Gibbs. I, oh man, <laughs> I sh- shot up my list of albums of this mm-hmm. year. So Quelle Chris is definitely still on there, but I Alfredo is incredible. Um, God is Perfect has been on repeat or stuck in my head almost nonstop. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to, my latest, review of an album that I did for my other publication before I had was for actually this piece by H who's a rapper out of the UK um, specifically he has this song uh, he worked with Kenny Beats who we've talked about a lot and has the opening two tracks but he has a track on there called Triggered which samples Bills 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 by Destiny's Child that is really fire uh, I really like Polaris. Um, there's this one song on the deluxe edition of Painted by Lucky Day called Fade Away that I've really been listening to a lot. Um, I like Riri by Amine. Um, but my favorite uh, album for sure, and I, me and Brandon have talked about this album a little bit, is uh, the Deontay Hitchcock album, which is... Uh, what a debut. What a debut album. Um, that's in my top five for the year, no question. And also, I do want to shout out uh, Zaya, who I just interviewed. Um, I think he just... The name of or the name of the interview uh, was Zaya's Lonely Pocket, and I just think that his music sounds totally different from anyone who's out. Um, and it's it's really uh, great music for this time of year, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or uh, reviews anywhere else that... I don't know if anyone else really has reviews, but um, download our podcast, like, share, comment, hit us up on Twitter, and thank you for listening. Bye, guys. This episode of In Search of Source featured Brandon Hill, Mickey Hellerback, and Ryan Gore of the Central Source Creative Collective. The episode was edited by me, Charlie Taylor of the Fifth Element Podcast Network. Music for the show is Fucked Up by Varsity. Thanks to Chill Breakers for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth Element Podcast Network production. Links with Varsity, Chill Records, Central Source, the Fifth Element, and content covered in this episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source. <laughs>